Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. But before I say more, here's producer Adonis with a message from our sponsors. The Premier League season is over, but we still have the FA Cup final, Champions League and the Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score a number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from the Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. And Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello. Uh, Today we are talking about all the things that you've asked us to talk about, i.e. it's a questions answered episode. So we have questions from people asking such things as Ballon d'Or opinion, Marcelo Bielsa, relegated sides in Europe and players that might be picked up from them, Leicester's form, the five substitutions rule. There's loads of stuff to talk about and we're going to try and get through as many as uh, as we can. Uh, but before we do that, let me remind you that if you uh, would like to, you can get a 30-day free trial at The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to read the work of our fine, fine colleagues on the football side of things, uh, or indeed the sports side of things, as The Athletic covers 10 other sports too. It really is the place to be uh, for learning uh, the absolute most you can, is that right? Or the most, in the most efficient small amount of time, but with the, with the best version of the, the story. Nice plug. Nice, yeah. nice plug. That. Thanks. Lovely. Uh, please go and do that. It is actually very good, even though I've made it sound awful. Um, but anyway, more of me in a moment after the music is played, and uh, we'll leave you in the, uh, the the cool hands of the warm embrace of ourselves. Okay. Uh, first question is from B Boxen. Bosson, be Bosson. Opinions on the uh, Ballon d'Or cancellation. What would be Tifo's top three or five? Um, Seb, you didn't want to include this question, so I'm going to go to you first. <laughs> well, on the cancellation, I, I just think it's it was the strangest announcement I've seen in a long time. It, it was it just reeked of an organisation that took itself far far too seriously. Um, it was as if um, they were cancelling Christmas. It's bizarre. Did am I the only one to think that? No, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's um, it's the award uh, of the the fanboys, isn't it? I mean, it's the award that means very little to uh, fans of football, uh, and the award which means an awful lot to to fans of football players. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I just culturally, I have a little bit of a problem with it, and I, uh, more so since um, FIFA launched their their rival um, awards, the best, um, imaginatively uh, named sure. uh, award ceremony, um, which seems to be just a kind of um, yeah, uh, football equivalent of a, of a penis measuring contest. It's just, I, I don't know. <laughs> Can I, I say I, a penis measuring contest if penises had absolutely no use in in the world? They did, they, they weren't used to reproduce. They did, you know, there was no sensation. They were just sort of dead meat. Right. No, that's it. That's <laughs> excellent little 30 seconds. Um, I, I just, I'd love to have been in the meeting where 
they came up with the ideas for that rival ceremony. You know, what are we going to call it? Where should we hold it? Why are we even doing this? How much money are we spending on it? You know, let's just call it the best. That'd be nice. You know, that'd right. be a real slap in the face for uh, for the Ballon d'Or. I just, what, I, what does this I give hate us? the entire topic. Okay, but uh, bearing that in mind, what would your top three... <laughs> Three, Don't, uh, care. Don't care. Don't <laughs> Fair care. Fair enough. Alex. Not even gonna, not, not, not even gonna, gonna indulge you. No. You're coming to me now. I'm coming to you, big time. Right. Big so, time. I mean, on the basis that it's it's unusual that, that Seb is so unenthusiastic Don't about something. Don't not give me something. I need one of you to answer this question, because if I have to answer it, then Robbie Brady's going to be at the top and no one's going to be happy. Let's do now, that conversation. Let's be, That's let's, always let's be a honest. winner. Let's be okay. honest, okay, people were saying that it was Robert Lewandowski's year, uh, KDB would have been in the conversation too. I mean, okay, I, I, I have I have complete agreement with Seb on the, the pointlessness of the thing generally, but I, I have another angle on it, uh-huh. um, which is that individual awards in a team sport are basically stupid, and there's there's no... So Robert Lewandowski, right, incredible season, loads of goals, it's impossible to understand how Lewandowski would play outside of that team and without the service of the players behind him, and he wouldn't be able to attack in the same way if the defence wasn't as good as it is. And so, to me, it's just in, an incredibly hard thing to kind of quantify that um, on the basis that you demand an answer. I do. I don't know. Yeah, Lewandowski, Kevin De Bruyne, and Jefferson Lerma. Wow. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think that B. Bosson is going to be particularly happy with that answer, but hey, we've answered it, B. Bosson, well, so how I, dare I, you? Hey, I'll, the, I'll give the, you a serious problem... answer. I'll give you a serious answer. Let's, let's, let's put in Virgil van Dijk, um, because um, I voted for him for um, Player of the Year, and he didn't win, so I'm going to carry on my agenda. Um, it, it, one of the ways to measure this, I think, well, the way it should be measured is what is the team, what, what, what is the player achieving, what is his team achieving, um, and what would be the difference in those achievements if that player wasn't there? Um, and I think that's a really good um, kind of measure of, of impact and influence and status in the game. And I think, um, yeah, I haven't really heard an argument which um, pits another player as being more, not important is too vague, but um, uh, yeah, essential. More essential to a to a player's present than Virgil van Dijk. Alisson. <sighs> I, I see Alisson as a product of van Dijk though, Alex, because it's a... Uh, Allison, Allison is a beneficiary of the defensive conditions created by a Van Dijk um, that wouldn't be there without him. Yeah, but the defensive conditions that Van Dijk plays under are set by the way the goalkeeper plays, commands his area, communicates with those defenders. Like, and this, this is kind of my point: is that you can't, you can't separate those things out. You know, it's there are there are very unusual instances where I think, for example, this season. And and the Ballon d'Or conversations often just come down to Ronaldo fanboys and Messi fanboys, and I have and that's, that's no... always a fascinating conversation. That one, isn't it? <laughs> sure. I mean, I have no time for that. <laughs> but you could actually make an argument to say that of all the seasons that Messi's been exceptional in, and let's not forget he, you know, he's been exceptional consistently. This is the one where he's done most on his own. And he's had the least amount of support from the players around him um, because Barcelona are kind of a dumpster fire at the moment. So maybe, you know, maybe just give it to Messi. <laughs> Let the genie out of the bottle here, haven't I? Let's yeah. move on. Um, <laughs> this, uh, you wanted this question, so... Well, I didn't want this question. B. Boschkon wanted this question. Uh, mm. Anyway, Ab he won 
asks, how would Marcelo Bielsa have flourished with a traditionally giant club like a Real Madrid or Bayern Munich? I suppose this is off the back of uh, of uh, Bielsa's achievement with Leeds United, uh, getting Leeds promoted again after 16 years of, uh, of being out of the Premier League and also generally being one of the managers that um, a, a number of the, of the modern greats uh, call or cite as uh, a significant influ- uh, influence on their career. Um, but as, as, a, as a manager, never really getting the opportunity to manage at a top, top club. Is that fair, Alex? Um, yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, obviously, we don't necessarily know what conversations Bielsa has had with other clubs over time where he's not taken up those opportunities. Um, they may well have been the case. I mean, those larger clubs do tend to have uh, a recruitment strategy that's slightly more predicated on past achievements. And obviously, um, you know, Bielsa has taken leads into the Premier League. But prior to that, his sole piece of silverware, as it is, um, was a gold medal with Argentina in the Olympics. So he's not he's not achieved a lot in those terms, which might have barred him from the conversation. I think the more interesting point to make here is that Bielsa seems to have done best at clubs either in Argentina or uh, clubs that have a sort of like a strong sense of of identity in a slightly us against them way. Um, So Athletic Club de Bilbao um, and also Leeds United where there was this sense that you know these these teams were pitted against something so Leeds it was pitted against you know years of of underachievement and the difficulties in the boardroom and uh, prior to Radrazzani taking over and and you know trying to recapture past glories in that way with Athletic Club de Bilbao it's the regional thing um and I think Bielsa needs those sorts of circumstances in which to flourish I need I think he needs something to kind of be fighting against in some regard um partly because of his personal beliefs um but but also partly i think because he works best with with a group of players who are not necessarily heralded as being at the top of their game and you know he's able to coax these incredible performances and commitment out of them by convincing them that they're going to achieve something that they would otherwise not have been able to achieve he needs buying that's the thing isn't it yeah, he needs buy-in, and I think it's a lot harder to achieve that buy-in at a larger club. With, so, all the, would, with the prima donnas, is that what you mean? Um, I, I don't necessarily mean the prima donnas. I just I think that the bigger clubs are, are generally they're used to more managerial churn. They're used to to players who are there on the basis of extraordinary levels of skill, rather than the sort of commitment that Bielsa requires necessarily. Um, I, I I just obviously it's a thought experiment. We don't know, but I, I I just feel both on a kind of ideological basis and also in terms of how he would work with those players, I I can't quite see it gelling. Do you think also uh, that because of his uh, potentially unpredictable explosiveness, that uh, a big club might not want to take a risk on him? Because I mean, it, it wasn't which club was it? Leon that he left after one day. Uh, Marseille. He was at Lazio for um, a couple of days, and then right. he was at Lille for a few months before going on to gardening leave, I think. Right. And, and, and Marseille, he suddenly just departed without any kind of warning. So right. yeah, no, there is. I think there is a degree to which that probably plays into into things as well. And again, you have that trade off if you're a club like Leeds or Athletic de Bilbao. You think, well, you know, maybe actually we we take a chance on 
there is that slight unpredictableness to the way that he goes about things, but um, we're okay with that because we're punching below our weight or because yeah. of the circumstances that we work in constraining us otherwise. Tell you what, many of the greats have that, actually. I was watching a documentary the other night about Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, uh, and uh, this was... Um, it was about halfway through. The band's broken up, but Neil Young and David Crosby decided they're going to get back together and do a tour. And uh, they do they 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 make three dates of the tour, I think, before Neil Young decides to leave uh, in the dead of night, leaving a note. Well, I think it's one of the rudest notes I've ever heard. And the note read, "Isn't it funny how some things that start spontaneously end spontaneously?" And he just leaves <laughs> David Crosby on the on the road. He leaves him there uh, with shows booked. You know, people come in to see him and Neil Young, and Neil Young just goes. I thought, wow, that guy's a that guy's kind of a dick, but you know, also one of the greats, isn't he? So maybe that's maybe that's why Real Madrid keep hiring him. You also you you do also hear some sort of fairly obnoxious stories about David Crosby as well. So I, I think I'm there. I'm sure that they're they're all they've all got their their foibles. We should have um, as soon as you brought them up, we should have just harmonised spontaneously. Just <laughs> wouldn't that, wouldn't that have been lovely? Become the Tifo like Travelling Band podcast, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Elan Vijou Varghese, players that can be picked from the relegated sides in Europe. This is a nice one. Uh, I think Alex has been put to work on this, um, as as should be the case. So, Alex, uh, relegated sides in Europe. Presumably, there are, there are a handful of players that uh, we could steal for the other teams. Ooh, tell us who they are. Yeah, so I'll, I'll leave the the Premier League for Seb. Um... If that's all right, we probably don't disagree on that much anyway. But what I've done is I've just written down a list of names, so I'm, I'm just going to read them out. It's not going to be very exciting, but I'll be as quick as I can. Um, from Fortuna Dusseldorf, Kenan Karaman. Um, Kevin Stöger's been released on a free, but he's worth looking at. Paderborn, you've got Jamalou Collins and Dennis Srebri. Uh, couldn't find anyone from Lecce. Um, Sorry, can or I stop Spau. you there for a second? If yeah, you're just on. going to read out the names, I, I think this is great. But would you be able to do it to the tune of uh, Starry Night or something, just so that we can? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just so that we can add a little bit more content to the content. That, like, that's if you, a, if you, yeah, yeah isn't go, that like? Um, oh, there's there's a Radio Four game show that asks you to do that, isn't there? Is there? Is yeah? So you or no? It's you're, it's one one song to the tune of another. So you're supposed to sing oh, okay. "Happy Birthday," but to the tune of "Ride of well, the Valkyries." Well, I tell you what, go for, go for <laughs> go for um, "Rise of the Valkyries" and uh, and um, da, da, just just try a few da, names. Da, da, no, yeah, not but not with the yeah, but with the names. Sandro Tonali. <laughs> Seb, don't laugh. Don't laugh. If you're going to laugh, move away from your microphone so we can hear him. Because I, I want to give him as much space as possible to do this. I think it's going to be fantastic. Okay, I, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. Okay, I'd also just quick, before I go into song, I'd just quickly point out that, that Spal and Lecce don't have good players who aren't on loan from someone else. Okay, fine. Okay. Um, Jonathan Silva, Kevin Ameru, Brackets Lagones, Raldo Thomas, <laughs> Matthias Vargas, Sergei Dada, Brackets Espanol. Moving on to League 1, would you like me to change? How does the Marseillaise go? We, can we please go through some different classical tunes? Um, I mean, I can't really... What about, um, uh, tell you what, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. You remember? Siru Gisare, Musa Konate, Alexis Blin, brackets Amien, Aaron Leia Seca, 
Isigasilla brackets to lose. Um, <laughs> okay, that was nice. That was nice. Yeah, and now I just one so. more to the tune of um, "Wannabe" by the Spice Girls, please. Um, oh well, I'm on to the you Premier League be my now. Lover. So, Purvis Estupian, Will Hughes, Panarada, Ishmael Azar, brackets Watford. There we go. I'm going nice. to leave Norwich okay. and, and Bournemouth to Seb. Little Thank you. There. That Thank was you very good. That. that was very, very good. No, I thought so. The the, the brackets was spectacular. <laughs> um, I'm just Seb. reading them literally as I've written them down because I, you know, yeah, anyway. you got two teams there, Seb? Yeah, I just wanted to add one guy. Uh, the two guys from Spain. Um, I really like, um, as a hulking great target man, Ante Budimir from Mallorca. Um, right. Yeah. He's not promising or developing. He's just a sort of a functional um, pivot for someone, a sort of um, lower half of a league, somebody. Um, and uh, Laganis is Roger Asale, um, who um, is I, I don't know, I'm not I'm, I'm still not quite sure how good a player he is, but I remember seeing him at the Toulon tournament. Um, I think maybe five or six years ago, um, five years ago, um, and he's interesting. I mean, he's 24 now, so. Um, I don't think he's going to develop into a Ballon d'Or slash the best winner. <laughs> like how I combine segments there. Lovely. Lovely stuff. Um, but uh, interesting player uh, and someone that probably doesn't belong um, at the level below La Liga. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. I mean, there are, there are. sorry, just to say quickly, there are two players in that list who I think are really good. Obviously, Sandro Tonali, everyone yeah, knows about, yeah. but also Alexis Blin at Amiens is, um, he's really worth looking at and, and, a couple of those other Amiens players too, but there are there are definitely guys who who stand out in some of these teams and absolutely would be worth picking up by by other people. And I'm sure Seb will go on to say that for some of these Premier League guys as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that the um, the Premier League list really writes itself. Um, Bournemouth, David Brooks, Callum Wilson. Philip Billing, Nathan Aki, who we think is off to Manchester City. Also, really like the goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale. Um, yeah, he he was on my list as well. I think he's a, I think he's excellent. Um, you know, still young, still developing, still prone to making the odd mistake, but you know, potentially excellent in the future. Uh, Norwich City, um, Robbie Brady, of course. Um, just to keep Joe happy. Um, Hello. Hmm. Uh, Todd Robbie Campbell. Brady is Robbie Brady is at Burnley. I know we're going to mention him anyway. I mean, you know, we can't have a podcast like this without mentioning <laughs> Robbie Brady. I see. I was very confused for a moment. Just historic Norwich um, connection. Thank you. Um, obviously, um, more seriously, Todd Cantwell, Max Aaron, Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey. Um, I think that's a pretty solid list. Um, Wendy, yeah. I, I, you know what? I feel a little bit disappointed disappointed by Ben Dia this season. Um, I don't know if that's um, that's a problem with me, but I feel like um, he's someone whose <laughs> reputation... <laughs> Physician, heal thyself. <laughs> I feel like... I don't know. I, I feel like his reputation still depends a little bit on what he did in the championship. And for the kind of fee that Norwich are going to ask for, I'd be... Um, I don't know. I'd hesitate. I don't know about that, man. I think he, I think in terms of uh, many of the different metrics, he, he ranked exceptionally highly in the league. He just didn't score or assist, uh, partly because of the, the the wider issues of the team, right? But I mean, I think as a player in the league, he showed that in a better team, he would definitely be, he would definitely work. I'm, 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 okay. with, where I'm would, with Joe on this one. Okay, well, where, where, where would, okay, so if, um, let's say he's, he's obviously going to be available. Where would you guys, where would you guys place him and for how much? I'm interested. Southampton? For, I don't know, like if they if they paid fifteen million pounds, they could probably get him at this point. 
Hey Alex, did you know that this podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming? I'll be honest, no. Not, not until you just hit me with that. Seb, did you know that Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family aduels? Precision is important in that area. It very much honest. is. It yes. very much is. And I'm, I'm excited today, gang, because Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job over here. So you could be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. And that's life-changing in a good way, gang. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. I'm a multitasker, so I like to do everything at once. Uh, And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off. And free shipping right now by using the code EPL20, that's EPL20, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving, gang. I don't think Southampton need him. I don't think he he quite fits the the higher energy style that Hasenhutl's moving towards in one of those cutting in central midfield roles I, I don't know he's I think Buendia's issue is that he's a slightly weird player in that he's he's played on the the right wing but he spends an awful lot of his time further back and tucked inside um, and that's obviously because um, you know Aaron's was supposed to overlap an awful lot on the right but he does seem to me to be probably most effective if he's playing as a as an eight on the outside of a midfield three pushing forwards with somebody really good covering him and and able to pull the strings from a bit deeper I I think the issue that we have and I can understand your hesitancy um Seb but I think it's because he probably hasn't been playing in a system that quite shows what he would be able to do for a better team um and but there's something about the way he controls the ball in tight spaces, the way he's looking around, the way he makes these little quick pass and moves that I think is is really good. I mean, I think he's certainly got something. Whether he's the sort of player who could move straight to Manchester City, I, I doubt that. Highly, Tell you what, though, if but... if he if he was happy with sitting on the bench, couldn't he sit behind? Um, couldn't he sit behind Bruno Fernandes if he was if he was going to sit on the bench? Like the sort of player that might make a difference at a team like Manchester United, as and when the the first well, eleven are, are tired, right? He's not he's not played as a ten for Norwich though. In in that role, Norwich have tended to go yeah. for a sort of more of a shadow striker, someone who can hold the ball up and and try and be a goal threat like a Stieperman or an Andre Duda, um, who's actually quite an underrated player, I think. But yeah, I mean, possibly. The other thing with Buendia is he's still very young, like he's 23, I think. So there's the opportunity to kind of mould him into something slightly different and take that skill set and and put it somewhere different on the pitch. He's not an inverted right winger for a top side. No, no. I, I think he's either a ten or possibly he's an eight, but in a midfield three. The way you describe him, Alex, like if you an eight in a midfield three, that probably makes him quite a nice little option for for someone like Everton. You know, to rebalance that midfield, obviously you got a little bit more surgery to do um, with its defensive abilities, but that might be quite a nice little. Addition. I mean, that's 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 certainly possible. I, I think at the moment Everton seem to be cleaving quite heavily to a four four two, though, don't they? So. I don't. Yeah, we'll I don't know if there's room for that. Um, 
I mean, maybe, again, a slightly left field thing, if you're looking for somebody who can take over the Jao Moutinho, you know, kind of progressive passing, not necessarily getting forward too much, but releasing players ahead of them, but with them with the protection of two other midfield players and wing backs, you know, some someone like Wolves, it it kind of makes sense. But I think you would be gambling slightly. Because, and I guess this is your point, Seb, about the fee. Yeah, is that I think it is a gamble purely on the sense that he's not been played in a position that best suits him. Except it worked for the Norwich system to a degree, but it's not where his future is. And so any team that buys him is going to be gambling on his technical ability. And then trying to fit him in somewhere. I wonder whether this is the summer to do that. That's kind of part of my hesitation is that kind of ordinarily you could see someone happily paying thirty million pounds possibly for him. But the kind of clubs that are gonna do that on a sort of on not on a hunch, but with a um with a gamble in mind, are those who are probably going to shop further up the um further up the up the shelf, so to speak. It's interesting. I'll, I'll be I'll be intrigued to see where he goes. I still quite like Everton because I don't think that four four two is for um will last Alex on the basis of the way this season is finished. I don't know, I could be wrong about that. No, I think I think you're right in terms of it hasn't worked. Yeah. Um but I haven't also seen them trying to do something different. Obviously with Everton the midfield balance has been completely upset by the injury to Gabamon. So it's impossible to know how Everton might have played if he'd been fit because he was supposed to be the anchor to that. Um, and, and Everton do seem to have a squad that would suit a 4-3-3, um, but they just haven't really been able to do it yet. I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. Hey, Seb, did you know that Harry's sponsors the TIFO Football Podcast? I do now. And Alex, did you know that as a listener of ours, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95? pence. I have a beard, though. Yeah. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover, simply by going to harrys.com forward slash TIFO right now. That's harrys.com forward slash TIFO. Okay, Ryan McCurrock. Reasons as to why Leicester's form dropped off after the restart. Did they overachieve in the first half of the season? I mean, if they did, then they hugely underachieved. Uh, in the second half, or I mean, after the the return from uh, the lockdown, I saw the points per game table. If it only included um, games that had happened after lockdown with no crowds, and Leicester were low down. Who, who were third, Joe? Uh, Southampton. They were. They were excellent. Excellent <laughs> restart. Excellent restart. Um, who wants to tackle this one then? I'll have a stab at it. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so there, there, there are a few asterisks to apply in that um, obviously Brennan Rodgers lost both of his fullbacks um, shortly after the um, the restart, lost um, uh, Pereira a long time before that, and also he was without Madison. So there's a li- there, there are, there, the injuries are involved in this conversation. Fundamentally, though, I, I wonder whether um, there's a flakiness to Leicester. Um, I think when we when we covered them early in the season, we talked about how they perform in games against. Or the top six, but also the kind of the, the marquee games, the ones where we look to see, you know, that provide a, a true barometer of what kind of team they are and what standard they are. Um, and I think over time, as their form collapsed, I think kind of that general fragility showed itself, you know, in in in, in other ways. I think one of the one of the problems with having one of the unseen problems in having a young group of players who are all maturing and developing together 
is that their abilities aren't offset by, you know, a bit more experience. The kind of, um, you know, a couple of years ago when they first came up, they had um, Esteban Cambiasso in the season in which they survived relegation. Um, and I would be tempted if I was Brendan Rodgers to um, look at what happened this year and find out who 2020's version of Cambiasso actually is, because I think that's the player they need. Not necessarily in a position. I think that's a that's an element they need within their squad mix. Somebody that is able to contribute to arresting um, poor form um, or to sort of changing the the local mood as and when it deteriorates. There are other factors. I accept that, but it's just a, a sort of a gentle observation made over the course of the year. Alex, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I think Seb's absolutely right. And there, there are certain teams, um, and actually to a degree, I'd, I'd put Southampton in this, um, where you need somebody who is a bit more canny, um, often a bit older, um, a bit more direct in terms of how they communicate with other players on the pitch. And I think it's interesting that um, part of Southampton's return to form has been with uh, Oriol Romeo coming in instead of Hoiberg. Um, and Romeo, I think, does bring that presence. Leicester are a very exciting team with a lot of young players who are very, very good. But particularly in that midfield area, there isn't somebody who's got that presence, who's got the ability during the course of a game to see that things aren't quite going their way and to to sort of shout and tighten things up and, and you know... Ndidi, for example, who is a fantastic screening midfielder, he's not that guy. Madison isn't that guy. Harvey Barnes, Mark Albrighton, who's quite experienced, he's 29, he's not really been playing quite as much. So it's difficult, you know, really apart from Johnny Evans, who, although I think he's a consummate defender and hugely experienced, has never struck me as especially vocal. Uh, no. Likewise, Kasper Schmeichel. You know, the, the leadership group in that club are that they're, they're a towards the back of the pitch and they also they seem like quite nice guys i mean i don't yeah well it's, i don't mean that Robert in a bad left, way right yeah and 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 i do <laughs> but but i think i think that's really important you know when, when leicester won the title they they had in, in people like wes morgan they they had players with real presence well i mean wes morgan who, wes morgan is still playing for leicester now however uh, he's the presence... barely He's and not. I mean, he's, he's he's not on the pitch. He he played the other day against Manchester United. Yeah, but he's he's used incredibly infrequently on the basis of other people's injuries. Like he's not he's not a starter. No, and also he didn't. His communication didn't seem to make much difference to that game. Not when Anthony no. Martial was running beyond him. No, <laughs> no. I mean, Manchester United are particularly good at the moment. So, look, I I think it's I think Leicester need to when you have a group of players and then this is one of those things with Brendan Rodgers because Brendan Rodgers is I mean he's not a young manager now but he kind of conveys a bit of youngness like he doesn't have that he doesn't have that bastard in him right so it, it feels like there's a soft center to that team and that's sometimes why Rodgers teams implode towards the end of seasons because delicious think, in a chocolate but not always in a football team Right, exactly. So there needs to be you, you want a bit of grit in the middle of it. You want a hard bastard. You want something to chip a tooth on. Yeah. I, 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 I would be tempted also to have a, a new centre half. I remember um you know what what's happened this season with Soyanchu is really interesting because it's an example of what happens when someone starts a season well and no one kind of notices when he when 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 a player sort of drifts away. Um I remember um watching him at Stanford Bridge right at the beginning of the season and he, he looked um he looked excellent, defensively good, nice on the ball. He's not 
elegant on the ball because he's he's quite a cumbersome sort of vending machine shape. Um, <laughs> but he was he was good enough. Over time, it's as if um, his experiences through the league um, in the odd, you know the, the games in which Leicester didn't fare as well. It's as if they've spooked him um, because something's happened to his general level of performance. Um, and he, you know, when, when, when we came back into the lockdown, a lot of people still had him in their team of the season, which is absolutely ridiculous because he's had probably about three months of poor form leading into that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I don't know what kind of player he is. Is he the person we saw at the end of 2019, the defender who, you know, you could probably build an entire defence around if you were you know, adding a fullback uh, in Ben Chilwell's position if he were to leave or, you know, a, you know, a, a, a another defensive midfielder in front of him to sit alongside Ndidi. Is he the kind of, is he the permanent piece? On the basis of what he's been since the turn of the year, I'd argue no. So I, I don't think that's as clear cut a position as um, as it was, you know, six months ago. So that, that's something to, to look at potentially, or at least, at the very least, he needs a little bit of competition in there, I think. And, and that's a, that's more of a sensible transfer chat. I, I accept that. But um, um, it's, it's interesting. There are, Leicester are not quite what we thought they were. Okay, moving on. Uh, Han Gyul Park says, in the Aston Villa versus Sheffield United game when the Blades were robbed three points, do you think if an incident like that happens, uh, the FA overturn it and give it to Sheffield? I'm going to rephrase this question because it's not uh, that well phrased. Basically, I think this person is asking us, uh, what about the situation with uh, with Aston Villa and the, the goal that wasn't a goal? Um, because, of course... Bournemouth, um, I think the news was came out last night or this morning that the BBC are reporting that Bournemouth are considering or making movements to. They're going to uh, discuss. T- they're going to discuss the idea of taking action against uh, who? <laughs> I mean, is it is it Hawkeye they're taking action against? It would be the Premier League, I'd have thought. Um, taking action against the Premier League on the basis that their relegation um, was uh, mathematically, theoretically, as a result of Aston Villa's. Uh, conceding a goal that ended up not being a goal um, and the goal line technology not recognising that when it should have done. Um, which, to be honest, you know, is is a conversation that Seb and I, Seb, you and I were having a few days ago because um, I'd heard tell that uh, that something might be afoot um, and I wasn't really sure. Uh, so I asked you and you said, nah. And then I laughed at you yesterday when the news came out. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? Do you want to explain how I'm really in the know and you don't know anything, actually? Yeah, no, well, let, you just want to hear your little victory from somebody else. Okay, well, we'll do that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. So a couple of days ago, um, Joe and I were talking on WhatsApp about the idea that um, a relegated club, we weren't specifically referencing Bournemouth at the time, um, might take legal action as a result of the um, the Hawkeye goal line technology failure in the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game. And I said to him in that kind of very dismissive way that I do quite often, um, no, because um, this is just what happens. This is a refereeing mistake, essentially, because Hawkeye has become part of a, you know, a, um, a referee, the referee's brief, really. Um, and now, um, as of yesterday, I texted Joe to tell him that um, Bournemouth were considering it. And he it was the happiest I've heard him in about six weeks. I was very happy because it's not often that I get to have one over on you, Seb. Uh, but I had one over on you there, and I hope that they do sue you? the Premier League. <laughs> well, you know, you know what's Just interesting. Just to prove my point even more, I looked this up, and there is an IFAB rule um, which says that, and I'm quoting here: mm-hmm. um, in principle, a match is not invalidated because of colon malfunction of the VAR technology brackets as for goal line technology. 
So I so wonder. So you're exactly the kind of person who, when you lose an argument, you bring quotes to the next argument. Yeah, that's I, I bring the machine that, gun to the knife fight. Absolutely, that's who you are. Absolutely, I, my ego is far too delicate just to let that stand. <laughs> <laughs> now that's but interesting. So what you're saying there is that theoretically, it's not possible for them to do this. Yeah, which, and funnily enough, it makes me agree with you more because I don't really accept that one line as a kind of no. um, as something that should appease a club that have suffered. Uh, what I will say is that in this situation, logically, just because goal line technology failed in that instance and that goal did not count, that does not mean that Aston Villa would not have taken a point from it. It it doesn't, it doesn't. But also equally, that's the uh, argument I expect it, to be used. I would, I I would mean, suggest so. that if goal line technology uh, was not included in the game that that would have been ruled as a goal. Like It's obvious to the linesman that it's gone in. It's obvious to the referee that it's gone in. They're wa- he's waiting for his watch, which doesn't buzz, and therefore he doesn't make a decision. I remember think, uh, tweeting about it at the time and saying, like, this, this really is a kind of strange sci-fi world now where people are ignoring things that they can clearly see yeah, in front of yeah. them because technology has not confirmed that what they're seeing is real. Uh, and I, th- I mean, that, that's, that's... It was... I thought I thought it, I thought it was it was a crazy thing and and also I think you know to finish the conversation that we were having the, the other day Seth I remember making the point that um referees are are fallible and everybody accepts that and so if a referee makes a mistake it's not something that you're going to take out legal action against this goal line technology was brought in uh, as far as I'm aware on, on the basis that it doesn't make errors like this it's technology the whole purpose of its existence is to eradicate those sorts of errors so when there is an error of these sorts of proportions and yes you're absolutely right that you can't be sure whether um, Aston Villa would have got a point out of the game or maybe would have won anyway or you know would have lost we don't know but we were robbed of our opportunity to know because uh, of a of a huge malfunction, and I do feel sorry for 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 Bournemouth supporters uh, in this case. I also do understand that um, this would be the natural position of any large business uh, to consider all options uh, when something goes wrong. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that something is going to happen, or that you know, if they are considering or discussing it, it doesn't mean that they think it's the right thing to do either. It's just something that they would naturally discuss as a large business right and I, I completely understand that instinct i just i worry what would happen if this becomes a precedent you know if you have a situation where relegation is no longer this sort of binary situation it is just the start of the argument you know well we got relegated but our team of lawyers in the kind of the, the manchester city sense um are marching towards some kind of um uh, loophole which makes it slightly more ambiguous i i i wonder because um i suspect what happened here is the other aspect of that game which was interesting was that um, obviously goal line technology failed, but also VAR failed. VAR, yeah. as you yeah. mentioned, Joe, VAR clearly saw that the ball was in the net. I mean, the goalkeeper was, goalkeeper was lying in the net like it was a hammock. So, yeah. yes, it was a goal. Um, <laughs> but then maybe maybe um, PGMOL argue that actually this is a refereeing mistake because Stockley Park had the opportunity to intervene but didn't. So does it become human errors as a result of that? I don't oh, know. It's really, we're, just, it, I, we're passing a baton between a robot and man. Yeah, it's very, very complicated. Um, so it's it's interesting. I, I um I'm, I, I I I don't like the idea of someone suing um their way out of a relegation. There's no indication that that's actually what Bournemouth are trying to do, but um or yet. But it's um yeah, there's there's a dangerous precedent to be set here potentially. No, fine. Okay. Alex, Sagerwine asks, has the new five substitutions rule changed anything tactically? Are there any drawbacks that outweigh the obvious benefits? 
I think it's hard to say if it's changed anything tactically on the basis that um, it's being used in a circumstance where the predominant concern is refreshing players that are getting tired because I think the answer is at the moment we don't yet know. Um, How how could it theoretically though? Well, theoretically, I think it would be easiest uh, for managers who look to um, close out the game. Um, I think the area where you could see it change things tactically most clearly would be when a team is 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go and they're able to bring on players that allow them to change the system, say, from a a four-man back line to a five-man back line. So Mourinho's coming back. (laughs) Yeah, possibly. But no, I mean, I think it's it's not like, you know, in rugby, for example, where there's seven substitutes allowed and teams will regularly refresh their entire front row at 60 minutes or something to, to provide physical impetus. Um, football, I think, yeah, there's there's limited stuff that you can do tactically in in that way apart from change formations. And obviously five substitutions would allow you to do that more flexibly. Um, but I also think to a degree that that teams are quite flexible already. For me, the interesting thing about five substitutions is more the opportunity to give younger players or other squad players minutes where they wouldn't necessarily have had them otherwise. Um, but I, I think the honest answer is at this point we don't really know. Um, drawbacks? Drawbacks, I guess, that games can become unstructured if there are too many changes that occur at the same time. That's something that does happen in rugby sometimes. Um, so if you had a team that made four changes, you know, they could lose their rhythm, they could lose their shape. Um, but again, I think managers will be very conscious of that. And so they are unlikely to make sweeping changes of that nature. Yeah. OK, I'm going to quickly roll straight on to the next question for you as well, Alex. Um, what are the most important stats for centre backs? And that was asked by uh, Ruiz Sports. Um, so generally speaking, obviously, this is with the caveat that different data providers call things differently um but what you want to look at is uh pressures interceptions blocks clearances um defensive duels if you're looking on y scout uh, obviously aerial ability uh and also something called progressive passing um the definition of progressive passing changes depending on the provider but it's basically a good indication of the ability to get the ball forwards um to your teammates and with defensive players generally, but especially with fullbacks, I know that's not the question, it's a very, very strong indicator of the ability of a young player to be able to do stuff. So if you have a young player who's making a decent number of blocks, a decent number of clearances, and also is racking up, I guess, anywhere above maybe seven and a half, eight progressive passes per 90, that's a promising player. Um, if you also then add in how many minutes they're getting, that's something that's quite interesting. Obviously, younger players getting good minutes is a very good sign. Um, I would also just caveat all of that by saying that it depends on the centre-back you're looking for. So obviously, the centre-back that a Liverpool would want uh, is going to be different to uh, what a Wolves one would want, and also it will depend on which centre-back you're looking at. Uh, Statsbomb did a very interesting piece recently on their Spanish language site comparing the difference in uh, positions that different centre-back pairings take. And, and the, the, So 
some teams you'll have one centre back pushing much further up the pitch than the other one, and there's a greater disparity in their starting distances. That's because some centre backs are very proactive and look to push forwards, and and, and other ones hang back and sweep up. So again you need to really look at what exactly it is you're trying to measure in order to to gauge whether that player is a good fit for that system in that position. Yeah. Uh, Seb, Sam Douglas asks you, how did Jordan Henderson win player of the year over Kevin De Bruyne? Now, before you get upset with me, you started this because you included this in the plan and also you told me already that you voted for Virgil van Dijk. So how did Jordan Henderson win player of the year over Kevin De Bruyne. Who votes for this stuff? Okay, so Sam's referring to the Football Writers vote. There's two votes for Player of the Year, the PFA and the Football Writers. So it's Um, because all football writers are Liverpool fans, right? Pretty much. Well, that's the accepted logic (laughs) on social media. It's really important. It's really... So... um, it's really important to clarify this because the Football Rights Association get it in, in the neck every single year over things like this. Um, but it's because um, the directive on the vote is not for it just to be a reward for trophies and um, tangible achievement and statistics and goals and assists, even though sometimes it often is. Um, there is license within the voting um, for it to be in a slightly more abstract appreciation and more of a, you know, what's the story been? Um, and I think um, I didn't vote for Jordan Henson, but I can completely understand why he won the award. Because um, if you think about where he was five or six years ago, you know where you know the the point in his career when you know Brendan Rodgers was trying to loan him to Fulham um, and trying to get rid of him, um, and you know the moments when he when he when he played fullback just to 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 find a a, a use for himself in the side. Um, this is a great story to go from there to being a European Cup winning, Premier League winning captain. That's an amazing story. And and also, you know, there is also room here for um, an appreciation for Jordan Henderson, the person, um, during the lockdown. Um, and in light of some of the things that were said by the British government about Premier League footballers, Jordan Henderson set a tremendous example, just like Marcus Rashford did. Mark Rashford himself got a, uh, you know, a lot of votes, and um, no one would argue that Rashford has been the best player in the Premier League this year, or he's even injured for much of it. Three. You know, but he's, he's been he's had a good season. But you know, it's about more than just what happens on the pitch because it is footballer of the year. Um, it is not, um, you know, Premier League forward of the year or midfielder or goal scorer or goalkeeper of the year. It is a, it is a more circumspect award and. I, I fully appreciate that sometimes football writers can come across as very self-important. We're all guilty of that. I, I completely take that criticism. This is what the award is supposed to be. It's fair. And, and also, you know, when, when you've got two awards and when one, the PFA, which will be um, announced soon, when one is more literal, I think there's room for a second, which, um, which takes other facts into account. Well, I think we're coming to the end of the podcast now. There is one more question here that I could ask. Um, but Alex, I would only accept an answer if it was sung to the tune of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, how would a team managed by Alex play? I want style of play. I want one player profile. You know, I want the name maybe. Uh, but I, I, w- I will, you know, only accept it in that. So let me just More let me just kick you harmony, off. I'm going to really. kick you down. Dun 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 dun. Alex, yeah. <laughs> Please talk about your team to me. There you go. Now off you go. 
Oh, God. I can't do this twice in a podcast. I know. I wasn't really expecting you to. That's why the episode is over. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for um, uh, for listening today. Uh, don't forget that you can get a 30-day free trial at The Athletic by visiting theathletic.com forward slash a TFO, a TFO. Not There's no uh in there. I'm just putting it in there as I say it. So, you know, try a few different combinations. See what works. A TFO. You'll get there in the end. Uh, Seb, thanks very much. Thank you, Joe. Alex, a thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back next week with other things. Oh, incidentally, Sensible Transfers is on the way. Uh, 10th of August, we kick off our three-week Sensible Transfer season. I believe in that space of time, there will be 10 videos for you to watch on all the biggest clubs. Um, and uh, also 11 podcasts from you know in a four-week time period from the 10th of August. So you'll be hearing a lot more of us, and hopefully we'll be able to bring some of our friends and colleagues from The Athletic too to give us a little bit more insight uh, about the teams that we are discussing before we suggest players to, to completely change that. Thanks again, and uh, back next week with uh, something else to know what it is. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>